So, um, thank you for joining me, Adrian. I um, would love to just start with, you know, maybe a little bit of the background of your journey in the sexual wellness space. Like, what's the story of how you got to where you are today? Oh, man. I have had vaginal health struggles my entire, well, I guess most of my life, probably half of my life at yeah. this point. Ever since I became sexually active at 16 years old, I have struggled with my vaginal health. And it was started with yeast infections and UTIs, which I thought were just a part of having sex. But then I got a double whammy diagnosis in my early 20s of um, genital herpes, so HSV2 and HPV, the high risk cervical dysplasia okay. kind. And then- wow. Yeah. So <laughs> that was tough because like, I didn't really know a lot about these things back then. Nobody was talking about them. Yeah. They're still pretty shameful. You know, the two um, most common lifelong STIs back then, I didn't know how common they were, but you know, it, it was a pretty big diagnosis for me, especially because with the HPV stuff, I had to go through a couple of different procedures for that. And it was yeah. a little bit scary because you know, it can, the, the type of HPV I had is possible to develop into cervical cancer. So I was really having to keep an eye on it and just thinking about my vagina and worrying about my vagina all the time. But yeah. then fast forward to in my mid thirties, the icing on the cake was when I got candida overgrowth, which was basically a fungal, like a yeast infection that took over my entire body and I was getting yeast infections once a month for like a year. And I had oh all kinds goodness. of other, oh my God, it was so bad. I had all kinds of other crazy symptoms. I got BV infections and I kept going to my doctors who would just send me home with medication and not really understanding what's going on. And it just got to the point where I was like, I can't take this anymore. Something is wrong, but nobody could help me. So I, I had to do all of the research myself. And that's when I discovered I had candida overgrowth. I did a candida elimination diet and it went away. I felt in like a new person within four weeks. And that's kind of when I was like, holy shit, why isn't anybody talking about this? Why is there such a gap in like the Western medical health, like healthcare? Like, why doesn't anybody know about this? And I'm like, you know, at one point I just wanted a new vagina with everything that I've been going through basically half of my life. And I'm like, I am surely to God, not the only person who is dealing with this. No, not at all. Not even close. <laughs> no. So back then I was in corporate sales for a while and I quit my corporate life and I went back to school to study holistic nutrition so I could do this work to help people with vaginas who are struggling with this, who have no clue what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because, you know, I, I feel like these things are so rarely talked about and you touched on that a little bit. I feel like whenever I'm chatting with like a girlfriend, right. Who's having chronic problems, whether it's UTIs or any sort of vaginal health, or I actually had a friend last year who had this terrible, terrible ongoing like year long struggle with vaginal cysts and mm. like the stories that she would tell me when she would go see doctors were horrific. They'd be like Googling things in front of her. like they, And I was like, wow, there is like no common knowledge around vaginal health when it comes to Western medicine. Like we are so light years ahead in so many ways medicinally. And then, you know, 
this poor girl can't even get like a vaginal cyst taken care of. Mm-hmm. And it was just so shocking to me to see how little is known when it comes to that. It's like if something affects solely women, it's just not taken care of. And it's so disheartening. It really is because there's a lot of emotions, you know, surrounding and connected to our vaginal health. Like there's a lot, it's not only just the physical discomfort of all of these things, whether it be vaginal cysts or vaginal infections or STIs, there's a lot of emotions that go behind that too, because there's a lot of shame. A lot of women feel really embarrassed about these things that are very common, but the problem is, is we're all trained to go to our doctor when something is wrong. And yeah. of course, when you go to your doctor, you're just a number. Like they they just want to treat the symptoms and get you out of there as fast as possible. There's no like aftercare. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it's like, it's so hard because we, there's so much more to it than just, oh, you have an infection, here's prescription, there you go. Like, oh my God, I can't have sex. What am I going to tell my partner? I'm really embarrassed. I feel really uncomfortable. Maybe there's like a, an uncomfortable smell if somebody experiences BV infections, which by the way are super common. And, you know, like, especially with STIs, there's like, disclose, do I have to tell my partners? How am I going right. to have sex? Like there's so much loaded onto our vaginal health, more than just the physical stuff. And that's and- on top of the fact that we're like already worried about the more surface level things. It's like, you know, we all have that Volvo owners all have that situation when we're, you know, in middle school and the first time we like look at our vaginas in a mirror and we like wonder what other girls' vaginas look like and like does mine look normal and does it like smell normal and like is it, you know, doing all the things it's supposed to be doing? It's like even on like a a very surface level, there's already so much to be like, you know, worried about with like porn culture and all that and then add Mm -hmm. on top, you know, you get either an STI diagnosis or you have some sort of chronic vaginal health problem. It's like, oh my goodness, it never ends. (laughs) It never ends. And then we have periods and it's horrible. We have to go on birth control, these invasive things. You know, it's really like people who have vaginas, it's hard. Like we have it tough sometimes. Oh my goodness. With people who struggle with chronic issues. And this is where I've figured out, like I, with all of the things that I've been through, like I've, I went through. Um, actually, ironically, when I went back to school to study holistic nutrition, which was, I guess, like five years ago now, um, I experienced back to back to back to back herpes outbreaks for almost three years. So I was getting, oh my God, it was so horrible. I was getting one to two genital outbreaks a month and it was so frustrating for three years, this went on and it really was not only physically uncomfortable, but it really started to affect my mental health and the quality of my life in so many ways. I was afraid to have sex. I was afraid to go out and date. I was afraid to like put myself in any kind of situation because I just did not feel confident or comfortable in my body and in my vagina. And as somebody who's always been really sexually empowered or sexually confident or like with a high sex drive too, (laughs) I like retreated into my shell, which was so unusual for me. And, um, and this is the things that doctors or the Western healthcare system is missing. It's like, okay, people who are getting these chronic infections, like, and yes, we need the medication to treat the symptoms sometimes, but what do we do in the meantime to prevent these infections from coming back? 
And I've learned how to manage my infections all by myself, just through my own research, my own trial and error, and my education as a nutritionist. I rarely get outbreaks, herpes outbreaks anymore. I rarely get yeast infections anymore. I cleared my candida overgrowth. I don't get PV infections anymore or UTIs. So I'm just like, okay, how can I help people? And I changed it all with my diet and my lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting how that works because the friend that I was referencing earlier, she, you know, had multiple times where they drained the cyst. She had multiple antibiotics. Nothing was working. And then she finally went out and like did her own research and like looked more into like holistic medicine. And you will never guess what the cure ended up being. Oregano oil. Oh my god! It was just a, it was in her pantry the whole time, and you know some a holistic doctor told her you know try oregano oil, try rubbing it on it you know twice a day, and then do like a warm compress. And they went away within like a month, and she's never had one since. <laughs> that's so. I mean, that's so crazy, and it doesn't surprise me. Like it's just so frustrating when we keep getting these issues that keep coming back. And again, like all of the emotions with it, the pain in the ass trip to trips to the doctor's offices, the stress that comes with it all. Like there are so many things that you can do with your diet, with managing stress, um, with taking specific supplements and natural remedies, like the oil of oregano situation. Like there's so many things that you can do, but often it's, it's the last thing that people believe in or look to or want to change because changing your diet and your lifestyle is hard. It's not easy. Absolutely. (laughs) When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. So let's talk about candida because I think it's a word a lot of people don't know, um, but I'm, that I'm sure many uh, people with vaginas, you know, might like I've, you know, read in your Instagram and in your posts, like they might have an overpopulation of it. What What is candida? So candida is also known as candida albicans. It's kind of a fancy word for it. It's a fungus and everybody has candida, men, okay. women, non-binary, everybody ha- who has a gut has candida because that's where it lives. And it's responsible for nutrient absorption and digestion and all of those processes that happen in the gut. It's a fungus. And there's 40 different species of these candida albicans that live normally, happily, and harmoniously in our gut. But what happens is it can overpopulate and overgrow. And that's when it can cause some serious health concerns. And some people are sensitive to candida overgrowth and some people aren't. It depends on if you've been on long-term hormonal birth control, if you've been on long-term antibiotics, if you had a diet or have a diet that's high in sugar and carbs, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, if, and this could all also be from when you were a kid, like this stuff accumulates over time, which is why some of us are more sensitive to it than others. Okay. Um, So when it, overgrows is when it becomes a problem. And it's basically a fungal overgrowth that takes over your body and it can get into your bloodstream if you're not careful. And it can, that's what was causing my yeast infections because yeast is a fungus. So, you know, and then I was having like cystic, I had crazy cystic acne on my face in my mid thirties, like so bad. I was afraid to go out in public. I had like mental health 
Like I had depression, anxiety, I had brain fog so bad that I couldn't remember what was happening, what happened yesterday. Like I was going through an extreme period of stress at this point yeah. in my life. And that's what triggered it because it doesn't just come out of nowhere. Like it built, it was a slow build, I think, over the years for me. But I think a lot of people have a similar experience where, you know, maybe in the in their childhood, they took a lot of antibiotics because they got sick a lot and they were on birth control for a long time. And then their diet was really high in carbs and sugar, you know, and then it wow. just builds up. Yeah. Yeah. This makes so much sense even for me personally because I – so I've struggled with UTIs my entire life. Um, they just very recently started getting under control. But for years, it was like a monthly thing. And I was consistently having to go to um, walk-in clinics and getting – it was to the point where like I wouldn't even have to go in anymore. Like I wouldn't even need to get tested. i just call my doctor and be like, it's me again. And like I would just get another round of antibiotics. Mm, and then, yeah. you know, it's like after a while you feel bad putting that many antibiotics in your body. And it's just – it was so frustrating for so long. But even going back to childhood, I have this very – this is like a little TMI, but I guess not really for this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I have this very like visceral, vivid memory, which I don't have too many from my childhood. But I have this one of being in like maybe sixth grade, not even close to sexually active yet, and getting my first yeast infection. Mm-hmm. Being like just like very confused by the whole thing and like not really understanding because you know you think if you have anything wrong with your vagina like even you know in middle school you kind of I think are already equating like well how is this possible I'm not you know doing anything down there and you know my mom having to like show me how to use Monistat for the first time and just being like so genu- genuinely like confused and I wish that this knowledge was kind of I mean it's still not but you know more readily available back then that maybe. It was the fact that I was, you know, eating like a child and like eating a lot of like chicken nuggets and and candy and like, you know, probably like putting things in my body that were maybe not affecting me in the best way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those, I mean, that's a classic sign of candida. Just some people are more yeasty than others. Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've got a client too that had, used to get UTIs and yeast infections as a kid as well. Like it got to the point where she couldn't even go into the bathtub. It was so bad. Like have a bubble bath. She'd get a UTI as like six years old. Yeah, absolutely. I can't baths are are no go for me even now because I'm just like scarred. I'm like, I I don't even know if I'm it's gonna still happen to me, but I'm not taking the chance. I know, right? Like you're traumatized. We say I don't go into hot tubs. I do not go into bubble baths. No. Yeah. Any artificial things. No. No way. So (laughs) what are some symptoms that someone might be feeling that could could possibly be traced back to too much candida? Um, Yeast infections are number one, especially if you're getting like chronic UTIs are also a sign of candida overgrowth. And so is BV infections. Like especially if some people are getting like yeast and BV or yeast and UTIs, like that's a classic sign. Um, like I was saying, some of my symptoms were cystic acne on my face, especially on my forehead and around my jawline, um, hormonal imbalances and like really bad periods or PMS symptoms. Okay. Um, any kind of like digestive health issues. So like either diarrhea or constipation or like abdominal cramping, excessive gas, stuff like that. Um, cystic like skin health issues i think i mentioned that already but it's not just cystic acne on your face it can be on your back it can be on your body it can be on your butt <laughs> um, yeah brain fog like chronic fatigue um low energy joint pain 
So it's really common for people to have like arthritis sort of symptoms. Wow. Um, allergies, like sensitive sensitivities to your environment or sensitivities to food, um, sensitivities to the cold, like what I had recently. <laughs> oh my God. Honest, so Every single thing you're naming, I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, every it, single it, one. I'm like, oh my God, I definitely have too much candida in my body. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us do. A lot of us do. And what's really great about candida is it's very easy to get rid of or to balance and manage. Um, when I found out all I had to do was change my diet, I was like, yeah. sign me up. Like that was seemed easy at the time compared to what I was struggling with because like these chronic yeast infections were starting to affect my sex life. And my partner, yeah, because like my partner, we would like transfer yeast infections back and forth to each other. And, yeah. um, and I would be afraid to have sex. And then I'd have to be like, oh, sorry, honey, like not, not tonight because I got another infection. Like it was such a, it's so, so frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oral thrush, like a yeast infection in your mouth is another sign. Oh, um, okay. and like any kind of like toe fungus or like nail, any kind of fungus. Wow. Um, you can also get like fungus on your, you can have uh, fungal overgrowth on your skin. So yeah, doing a candida diet, it's, it's really an elimination diet and it's an anti-inflammatory diet, a very specific antifungal and antibacterial diet. And it's kind of my specialty with the work that I do. And so many people, me included, kind of dread it going into it because it is, you know, you're you're restricting just a lot of the crap that's feeding the candida overgrowth, but right. you're actually nourishing your body with like whole foods and in a very intentional way. And then like after six weeks or so, you feel like a completely different person. So if somebody is listening to this right now and they're maybe thinking the same things I'm thinking, which is like, oh, I have a lot of these symptoms. Like I struggle with, you know, vaginal infections. I think that this is a possibility for me and I'm super open to, you know, doing a little bit more of like a limited diet or just like, you know, figuring out, you know, what foods maybe I need to cut out, what foods I need to kind of really focus on. Where where are the resources, you know, your resources for starting on something like that? So I have a ton of information on my Instagram and my TikTok all across my social media, especially on my website. I've got a couple of blogs that I've written about Candida and Amazing. lots of Instagram posts with recommended suggestions. I have a Pinterest with like all kinds of different recipes. So I've got a lot of high level information to get people kind of started, like warmed yeah. up to the idea of, okay, changing my diet is hard, but it's not as hard as it, as I, as it seems. Completely. And I can help make it easier for people because I also have a candida elimination diet program that I wrote based on my experience and working with people getting, helping them get rid of candida. Um, and so I've got that as, as a resource for people when they want to actually do it and do it right. So it teaches you that. like everything you need to eat, everything you need to avoid eating and how to eat those foods, because that's yeah. the key. Cause there's a bit of a science behind it. It's all like not to get too sciencey, but it's all based on blood sugar, inflammation, um, Plus your information, there's another one. I forget. I always forget what it is. Hormone balancing, all that okay. stuff. So there's a very specific way of eating that I teach um, 
that makes a big difference when you're doing a candida diet because it makes it sustainable and enjoyable as well. Because some people yeah. like you can, you can find all kinds of information about candida diets online and do it yourself. Like that's what I did the first time I did it. Yeah. But I had no clue what I was doing and it was like a full-time job trying to figure it all out. <laughs> and yeah. And for someone who's always kind of just, you know, eat, maybe not eating poorly, but just eating whatever, maybe not really put super, you know, a ton of thought into their diet. It can be really intimidating to just Google candida diet. I'm sure there's, you know, tons of different recipes and resources and it can be almost overwhelming. So having, you know, specific mm-hmm. sources like your Pinterest um, or even your very specific diet can be, I think, really helpful for someone who's just maybe not used to like cooking or just putting that much thought into their diet. Yeah. And it's, it's good because, I mean, there's so much conflicting information online with these candida diets and it can get overwhelming. And it's nice to be able to know that you can trust somebody who's like me, who's done it many times. I do it once every year. (laughs) I'm doing it right now, actually. Oh, amazing. Um, Yeah. And has like, I've helped so many people do it and it just makes it easier to do because you don't have to spend all the time in research. You can just like kind of let go, just take in all the information that I teach you. And then, I mean, the hard part is doing the work. That's that's the hard part, but I make it easy easier for people to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that I think is just like I mean, there are so many things, right? I think especially for women and like you know any kind of like ongoing or like chronic fatigue or like illness that we feel. There's so much of it is like linked to our diet, and I think that's one thing that is like for me a hard pill to swallow because. I, my natural inclination is to like consume a lot of sh- Like I love sugar. I love sweets. It's like, I'm, I like, I like fast food. So it's really hard for me to be like, okay, you know, it's, it seems hard, but like just cutting out these few things or just being a little bit more like intentional with what you eat can actually change you for so much better. So. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's great. I mean, an, an elimination diet is so great. I think for anyone to do, if, especially if they're getting chronic, health issues. It's not just yeah. the candida elimination diet, but an elimination diet like the candida is best beneficial for everybody. It really teaches you a lot about like what foods work for your body and what foods don't. Because when you eat clean for so long, like your body will let you know when it likes something or doesn't like something. Cause everybody yeah. thinks they're eating healthy, but actually they may not be eating healthy for their particular body. Right. Yes. That's so hard. And it's like Mm -hmm. at one point too, you have to be like, I'm tired of like feeling this way. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I just like don't want to be this tired anymore or like this stressed about my body or like this worried about dating or how, you know, a partner is going to feel about something or like even on like a more service level, like insecure or whatever. It's like, it's nice to just be able to be like, let me just try this and see how it goes and, you know, see if, and like just even you saying like, oh, in six weeks, like you're going to notice a difference. It's like, that's such a short amount of time too. Mm -hmm. And not that, you know, you'll be maybe fully cured after that, but if you can even feel 10% happier, it's like totally worth it. And then it becomes a part of your lifestyle because when you start feeling better, it's like, you don't want to go back to the way you were feeling before. So you kind of continue. It's like, it's such a huge mindset shift because then you decide that you want to continue it rather than feeling like, oh, I'm, I can't eat this and I can't eat that because I'm on this diet and blah, blah, right. blah. Like it, then you go from to being more like, no, I actually choose not to eat this because I know what the consequences are and it's not worth it. 
my one of my big kind of like 2023 goals is to just like be more intentional, practice more moderation, especially with food, because like I said, I have like a naturally pretty poor diet. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think it's about moderation and, and also just like eating when you're eating foods that are better for you. Like I've noticed I it's easier to eat in moderate. It's easier to do anything in moderation. Like when I'm eating things that are actually really sustainable and filling me up and not just like junk food, I mm-hmm. find myself eating less anyway because I'm eating like heartier things. And it's just like easier to kind of like practice that. Like once you incorporate it in one way, it's kind of easy to incorporate it in every part of your life. Exactly. And the less you eat, the less you crave, especially yeah. with sugar. Yeah, that's my that's my big one that I'm worried about. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one because it's everybody loves sugar, but once you get over the hump of, you know, starting to kind of wean it wean it out of your diet, you would be surprised about like how much you don't need it anymore. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing I wanted to talk about, which we we did touch on a little bit, but was HPV because I feel like it's one of those STIs, right, that everybody's heard of, but nobody actually really has any information on it other than the fact that most women got two shots in middle school and like a vague explanation why from their doctor. Um, that's like, that's like essentially like the, the, you know, the common knowledge I'd say about HPV, but I know you talk about it, you know, a lot on your page and stuff and, 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 you know, with your diagnosis. So I would love to kind of dive into a little bit about like, about HPV and like, is it, is it more common than people realize? Oh my God. Well, the CD says, CDC says that 80% of the adult population, sexually active adult population will come into contact with HPV at some point in their lives. Wow. It's so common. Like (laughs) everyone always says, everybody has HPV. It's no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's over, there are over 200 types of HPV, 40 of which are sexually transmitted. Okay. And HPV is a virus. It stands for human papilloma virus and it's, um, transmitted via skin to skin contact. So it can be sexually transmitted or non-sexually transmitted. Um, oh, okay. and papilloma means like little warts, like little flat raised wart, like things, lesion thingies on the skin, <laughs> lesion thingies, okay. warts. They're just like little flat warts on the skin. So, you know, non-sexual HPV can be on your like your hand or your arm or your leg or your feet. Yeah. Um, and sexually transmitted HPV can come in as genital warts and or cervical dysplasia, which is basically the HPV cells or the little warts um, go onto the layer of the cervix. Yeah. And it can also be transmitted like anally through anal sex and um, thro- to, into your mouth and your throat as well. Wow. So, so it can be transmitted so many more ways, I think, than people realize as well. Yeah. Yes. And what's so unfair (laughs) is that people with penises, most of the time, especially with the types of HPV that cause cervical dysplasia, those, um, the, the people with penises are often asymptomatic. And even in people with vaginas are also asymptomatic. This is why it's so important to get your pap smears, your pap smears, um, because that's what where your doctor can see like any kind of cellular changes on the cervix and, and tell if you have HPV or not. Um, but that though, that particular type of HPV, it's HPV 16 and 18 that causes cervical dysplasia. 
the person with the penis doesn't have any symptoms, of course. So they're the transmitters, but they, and there isn't any available testing in men for HPV. Really? Yeah. Unless they have like visible genital warts, they don't know if they have HPV or not. Or like men can also get it in their anus. They can get it in their throat. If they're having anal sex, they can get it in their throat. If they're performing oral sex, like um, that's, that's common, but yeah, men, there's no test. There's no really accurate available testing for HPV in men, which is insane to me. Yeah, Yeah. that is, that is absolutely. So it's like, even if, you know, a man wanted to know and wanted to make sure that they were like, you know, as clean as possible and getting tested and able to kind of like disclose to partners, the test isn't even available. No. And if you go in for an STI test, HPV and herpes are not part of STI tests for anyone. Yes, I recently actually learned that. And I wanted to talk about that too, because, you know, I know a lot of times you talk about disclosure and obviously it's so important. And I've talked about this. Uh, I recently had Susanna Susbub on the show. Uh, oh, yeah. You had on your page as well. And when she, uh, you know, obviously I know base level, but I had no idea that it, they don't even test you for it in like a general screening. I was so shocked by that. I know. And that's all over the world. Wow. Yeah. I wish there was something that someone could do at the World Health Organization to at least have some kind of a waiver that people need to sign when they get an STI test saying, I acknowledge that herpes and HPV is not part of this STI panel test or something like that. Because most people walk into an STI test thinking they're getting tested for everything, but they're not. And they don't know that. Yeah, that is that that was absolutely insane to me. So it's just like it's so much it's so important, I think, that you're putting out all this knowledge because it is so inaccessible, you know, even for people who are, you know, have Internet access and can, you know, read articles and do all this stuff. It's like unless you're specifically looking for these things, it's not readily available information. And that's just absolutely insane to me. It's so, you know, it's 2020. 2023, I was going to say 2022. It's 2023. I know. <laughs> All of us are out here having sex, yet we're not, we weren't properly educated on the STI stuff or sexual health stuff. And there's still so much shame and fear around it, which is weird because we're all out here having sex. Yeah. But, you know, the more people know, the less they fear. But there's still a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of shame. Like you've probably seen Suze's, some of Suze's experience and some of the comments she gets. It's so crazy how people will shame somebody for having a herpes. Like none of us are immune to this stuff. Like you mentioned the, the HPV vaccine, like even the HPV vaccine doesn't protect against all types of HPV. Really? So Yeah, I know lots. I've had many people tell me that they got HPV, even though they got the vaccine. Wow. That is insane. Yeah, I think it only prevents against nine types of HPV. And you said there there are how many? There are over 200 types, but 40 that are sexually transmitted. Wow, that is that is that is absolutely wild. So and 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 then speak, you know, to that point too, it's like I think another thing that's so important to talk about is how, you know, these things are so common, but so stigmatized at the same time. And mm-hmm. even problems like what we talked about earlier, like vaginal health, um, STIs, I mean, really anything, even like something is as common and as simple as UTIs can be, you know, really hard, I think, 
to talk about with a new partner, especially because there's so little knowledge. So I think for a lot of times, people who just don't have any knowledge here that you have anything going on that relates to vaginal health and are immediately like, oh, and that can cause real trauma, right? It affects people's relationships. It affects their sexuality. It affects Mm -hmm. their confidence. And I think, I guess it's like, what are some steps someone can take if they're starting to realize they, you know, might be one of those people who are struggling or experiencing some sort of like trauma or a low libido or having, you know, struggles with putting themselves out there due to some sort of, you know, chronic vaginal health or STI diagnosis. Oh my God. I can totally relate because this has been my life, (laughs) but it's, I think the biggest thing is to just to learn about it because so many people, when they get diagnosed or, you know, with STIs or if they're struggling with chronic issues, they just avoid knowing anything about it because they feel deeply ashamed and they feel this internalized stigma and all of those feelings. And you know, all of those feelings are bringing up a lot of emotions in people like fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, you know, their self-worth. I think the most common thing I hear from people with herpes, particularly and HPV is like, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like I'm worthy. Yeah. And that's just like, not true. But um, understanding what you're dealing with, first of all, is really learning about it. Like, for example, if you've got diagnosed with herpes, learning more about herpes and learning more about HPV, because when your logical brain, it really is a kind of a psychology and a mindset, because when your logical brain can make sense of it, like when you take, if just take the sexual aspect away for a second and look at it as a virus, HPV, herpes, or an infection, UTIs, BV, yeast, whatever it is. Really understand what these things are and how they work. And then you can kind of be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like if you're starting to notice a lot of these feelings of shame and any kind of emotions that are coming up, um, which are often traumatic and cause people a lot of stress, it's like, what is under underneath those feelings. Like when have you felt like that in your life before? Because I always say like these issues, they're just the messenger, like sure. Herpes sucks, HPV, like nobody wants these things, but they're, they, they happen. Like yes. none of us are immune to this stuff, but it's like, what are those feelings that are coming up for you? And when have you felt like that before? Cause these things are just like a mirror that's being held super close to our face with all of these emotions and feelings that have been bubbling up to the surface, waiting to be healed. It's usually stuff from our childhood trauma. So really kind of getting in touch with those feelings and understand, taking some time to understand them, which is a lot easier said than done. It took me 20 years to get to this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a lot of work and it's hard because you will suddenly be faced with all of your shit, but right. it really is the only way to get through the trauma of it all to be able right. to come over onto the other side and feel confident in yourself in yourself again and in your body trust your body enjoy your sex life again and that makes it makes such a huge difference and you talk a lot too about like stress right and emotions and how that in some cases the root of more physical problems especially involving vaginal health and sexuality can be traced back to stress and things like that and i know you know um, stress can be a huge trigger for outbreaks for people who are, you know, have an STI diagnosis. And it just ends up being this, it almost feels like it ends up being this vicious cycle where you're mm-hmm. like stressed about having it. 
And then you can't kind of like break that stress and the trauma. And then so you keep having outbreaks and then you have the stress about an outbreak and then it kind of just goes around and around. And that, that can be so frustrating. Yeah. I call it the anxiety spiral. Yeah. It's like, you're just on a loop. Like you're on like a record. I've, I've gone through this so many times where like, I'm down there looking at my Volvo with a mirror, making sure everything is okay. But then I'm like, Ooh, what's that? What's that little spot? So yeah. And I start, I get like crazy. It's like, I get obsessed <laughs> and every 10 minutes I'm down there feeling around, looking around and that yeah. kind of stress can even can manifest itself into more issues or more outbreaks or more infections. Like what's the saying energy, energy, where your focus goes, energy goes or something like yeah. that. But it's like when you are just consumed with this anxiety and this spiral and this loop, it can manifest into more outbreaks. I've had that happen during that three year outbreak phase that I went through. Yeah. It was just like, I was so stressed. I was just, it was just creating more outbreaks and I just couldn't, I couldn't get through it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's it's crazy because even just talking through this, uh, like I said, I've struggled my entire life with chronic UTIs and I absolutely notice a difference in their frequency when I'm stressed or when I'm depressed or, you know, I'm feeling like uprooted in any way with during a big move or something or a breakup. Yeah. It's like it is shocking how much your emotions and your energy can affect your physical health. And especially, yeah. I think, for people with vaginas. Yes. And I think that this is such a good segue into um, talking a, b- a little bit about the root chakra. Okay. Because like getting a little bit woo-woo here, but I'm a holistic nutritionist and a yoga teacher and it's all part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Energy and emotions get stored in our bodies. And when we can't like move and release those energy and emotions, they can get stuck and cause disease or infection or yeah. whatever. And So there are seven energy centers in the body. And this is what I learned in yoga. I learned it in my nutrition school. And they're called the chakras. And there's the root chakra, which is like at the base of your spine and it's connected to your genitals. And then there are seven or six other ones that go up to the top of your head. But the the root chakra is really important, especially for people who keep getting genital infections because... The root chakra is responsible for very specific emotions like fear, insecurity, or secure the opposite, security, safety, not feeling safe, being uprooted. Um, because when that chakra is out of balance, a lot of us get vaginal infections. It's not a coincidence. Like, like you with your UTIs and stress with a move, like whenever I feel uprooted, I, my nervous system goes into like fight or flight and I always get either an outbreak or a yeast infection or something genitally. Yes. And it's the same thing with people who are getting these chronic UTIs, yeast infections, BV, genital herpes, HPV, vaginal cysts, anything like anything vaginal, chronic vaginal related. It's very much emotions and energy as well. It's so interesting. It is. And it's it's like I think it's hard, I think, for people to some people to like wrap their head around around them being connected, which makes it harder to kind of regulate um, and yes. understand and understand that they're connected because I think it's just it's such a like insane concept for people to think like that stress 
or, you know, some sort of like intangible emotional thing can be affecting you very, very seriously physically, but it does. I know when I was in, when I was in the corporate world, it was very like masculine energy dominated, like very logical thinking, you know, I would have, if I, hearing myself talk back then, I would have thought you're full of shit. Like, no, that's not true. (laughs) Where's, you know, where's the scientific proof? That's where all those everybody wants to know where's the scientific proof. But until you go through stuff like this, you don't know how it feels. And when you start doing the work to heal this stuff and understand this stuff more, and it starts clicking and making sense, it's just like, holy shit. Like this stuff is real. We were just taught not to believe this stuff because we're taught to go to the doctor to get the medication and money. It's a money machine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why like you know, Eastern medicine and Chinese medicine and like holistic healing practices have been around for centuries. Like there is a reason that they have like lasted the test of time. (laughs) Yeah. But it's hard, you know, it's hard to prove this stuff. Like I, I'm proof, but it's hard for me to show like. (laughs) Completely. It's like not just like a dad, but like the proof is in the pudding, right? It's like you have to feel it and, you know, see it for yourself. And then you're like, it's like this light bulb. It's like, oh. Yep. And you don't really know how that feels until you're going through it and until you're ready to make the the change when you're just at the point where you're like, I can't take this anymore. Completely. That's Absolutely. usually the point when people reach out to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm so, so, so excited about this episode. I just think it's so helpful for so many people and so many people with vaginas, especially who just, you know, don't know where to turn. Cause it's like, I have friends, I have friends right now dealing with this, you know, where they like are so uh, annoyed and they don't, they're done taking antibiotics, but they don't know what to do about their UTIs or their yeast infections, or they just got an STI diagnosis. And it's like, having more resources like this is so important and, and not just for the physical aspect and like getting a handle on it and feeling better physically. But like we just talked about, it's like the emotional side and, and kind of like breaking this, this cycle of anxiety. Yeah. It's the, it really is getting to the root cause, understanding how to get to the root cause of these things. And once you can understand that, then you can start doing the healing work. But a lot of people, you have to be ready for it because it's hard. It's hard work. Um, But that's why you have people like us here to help you and make it a lot easier for you because I had to figure it all out myself. Completely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on, but also just for everything you do. I I can't wait for this episode to come out. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited. Thank you for taking the time to to chat with me. I learned so much and, and I think that people will too. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye.